With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And the Oscar goes to... Oh, thank you so much. This might be the one time I'm speechless. This is not a joke. Moonlight is one best picture. Could you double check the envelope? And I can't deny the fact that you like me. Thank you, life. Thank you, love. You guys are just standing up because you feel bad that I fell, and that's really embarrassing, but thank you. This is nuts. It's a tie. I'm the king of the world. And the Oscar goes and to... The Oscar goes and the Oscar to... goes to... My only object in being here is to try and get out of What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give up. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm going to make him an offer again. The census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fodder for Frodo. Don't laugh! Can't stop what's coming. This ain't reality TV! I will not fall into despair! You hate bloggers! You mock Twitter! It's time, Robbie! He's fast! Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. Oscar goes to... Okay, Coda! Hello everyone and welcome to episode 297 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Time of recording is 11.05 a.m. on June 5th, 2022. Here to join me today, I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And joining us on the West Coast, where it is scorching hot outside during this summer month, I have Tom O'Brien. Greetings from Palm Springs. <laughs> Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I feel like we're definitely at that point of the year now where it's like I just step outside for one second and I immediately quote Jordan Peele's upcoming film and go, nope. And I just head right back inside because, oh, man, some people like this weather. I got to admit, I do not like hot weather. I am not someone who does well outside in the heat. If I could live in a very, very cold state year long, I would. But New York has a nice balance of weather. You know, at least we have a separation of seasons, you know, unlike California. <laughs> I do miss that, but I don't miss the shoveling. And Josh, you, you in Chicago, you're just too fucking cold. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. I mean, it's like in the mid-60s right now. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Well, we have a lot to talk about this episode. I'm actually really excited to dive into a couple of different topics here. Uh, one of them being the summer movie preview, because this is the first week of June. So we're going to be talking about movies that will hopefully continue the success of Top Gun Maverick, which is lighting the box office on fire right now. And kind of tying into that, I do want to also talk about what both of your opinions are on the state of the box office in 2022. Do you feel like it is rebounding back? Are we in a better place this year than we were last year? And what is going to be the future for when we head into this award season? Because I know last year, so many movies that we thought would perform well, movies like King Richard or uh, West Side Story, did not. So we'll talk about that. Uh, we also have the Tribeca Film Festival coming up this week, which I'll touch upon ever so briefly here. Uh, we'll go over the polls. We'll answer some fan questions. We'll discuss the trailer for The Menu from Mark Mylod. 
But before we get to any of that, I want to know what everyone's been watching this past week, because, oh man, am I enthusiastic to talk about one title in particular. <laughs> Tom, why don't we start off with you? What did you catch up with this week? Well, Matt, is kind of a light week for me. Um, <clears throat> this week, I was one of the last kids on the block to finally catch Top Gun Maverick. And, and, and you know, those of us who are just seeing it now, have we're kind of in an unusual situation. And it may be true of some of the listeners, too, who are planning to see it this weekend or over the next week or so. All of our friends have seen it. People I respect on film Twitter have all seen it. and Everyone likes it and in some cases really love it. And I respect these folks. And I was so worried I was going to be the outlier because I got to say, I was not a big fan of the first one. Mm. It was OK, but I kind of forgot it shortly after I saw it. Um, so I was a little worried about this one. I, would, I was afraid I was going to see it through gritted teeth and say, you know, yeah, it's good but not really liking it. No, it's the real deal. It's the real thing. I just loved it. It was just, oh, just uh, two and a half hours of just sheer uh, air, airplane bliss for me. And, um, you know, I've kind of, the way I see it now, I kind of put the first one out of my mind and that like that Top Gun walked so this one could fly and it really flies. So I'm very, very happy you saw it. So that's a, I joined the crowd here. Uh, which is great. I only know one person in my life who did not enjoy that movie. Won't say who, but only one person. So that bodes pretty well because I do know a lot of people. (laughs) (laughs) I, I took my parents to see Top Gun Maverick, actually. And it was funny because they haven't been to see a movie in like seven years. So they're pulling out like old AMC gift cards from like 15 years ago, asking me if these expire. Uh, We ended up seeing the movie almost for free when all was said and done because of those. So, I mean, I just really enjoyed, though, being there with them and sharing that experience. It was their first time uh, being in reclinable chairs in a movie theater. Wow. They really haven't been to the movies in a long time. And when the movie was over and everybody was applauding and clapping and cheering, my mother turns to me and she goes, they still clap during the movies? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, needless to say, they both really enjoyed it a lot, and uh, I was very, very happy that I was able to force them to, because I, I, I told them, I was like, this is going to happen. This is not me asking you. Like, I am taking you to see this movie. <laughs> Just, you know, then there are very few movies that compel me to do that, because most of the time, you know, with, especially from my parents' generation, usually they'll wait for it to appear on streaming, they'll watch it at home, you know, it's on HBO Max, whatever. But this is a movie that really does beg to be seen in a movie theater. So I I felt compelled to have to get them out of the house and into the theater. And I'm so glad that I did. That's beautiful. And that'll probably tie into our discussion of the box office because it's folks like your parents who are propelling this. Mm hmm which is really, really wonderful to see. But it it does speak to that audience, that demographic that I was mentioning in the uh, intro there that was not going to see movies like The Last Duel, for example, last year, but they're turning out to see this. It's great. Anything else? Um, I saw um, a little film called The Phantom of the Open with Mark. Yes. Oh, my God. Wasn't this just delightful? It's just lovely. It's, you know, if I call it a very sweet movie, I don't mean it in a condescending kind of way. It's the kind of like artistically sweet movie that 
Paddington 2 was. And this was written by the guy who co-wrote that. So there's a lot of that same kind of sweet sensibility about it. And uh, for the, for folks who don't know the, about the film yet, it's a, a true story about a, a modest crane operator in England who he never played a round of golf in his life, but he watched the British Open on TV. And he says, well, that looks like fun. And he bluffed his way into it. And he wound up recording the worst first round score ever recorded at the Open. And as a result of that, people seeing this terrible golfer with whom they could identify on TV, he becomes a folk hero. And it's a delightful story. And um, what Mark Rylance does in this is he he grounds it. I, I really can't think, guys, of, of an actor now who has such power and can uh, convey strength by simply being quiet. Uh, he did that in the outfit a couple of months ago where he, you know, that quiet kind of hid this mask of deadly, uh, a deadly side of him. And here it kind of displays, uh, you know, an untapped well of kindness that this particular gentleman has. Um, he is the reason to see it, but I think you're going to come away feeling with, going to leave this with a big smile on your face. And, uh, boy, that's the recommendation enough for me. I really like the pacing of that film. I love the dynamic camera work and the editing. It just had a very propulsive feeling of momentum to it as you're watching it. It never felt like it dragged. And it was also very entertaining. It was funny. It was whimsy. And... It was inspirational, too, because I like the message that it's putting out there. You know, so many people in this world, they, they, they are passionate about something and they might not necessarily be great at it. But as long as they're not hurting anyone and they're getting joy and fulfillment out of it, then what's the harm here? And I really, really love that Rylance brought that level of earnestness to that role where it was just so sincere and just so lovable. Like, how can you not like this guy? Yeah. And, and I think there's maybe some actors who would have hedged a little bit on the sincerity. And But Mark Rylance just goes all the way with it. And you really feel for this guy. And he becomes more complex as the film goes on. It's a wonderful performance. He's had an amazing spring with those two, two films. And uh, yeah. I recommend both very highly. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. And finally, I saw a little film from India, which I believe we're going to be discussing in detail for this week's podcast review. Yes, by popular demand, might I add. I was not expecting to have this on the podcast schedule for June. But once I saw the film myself and oh, my God, y'all, you, you guys got to stop flooding my inbox with <laughs> requests for this movie. First, it was to see it. And then once I saw it. Just I opened up my Twitter and just comment after comment after comment. Are you reviewing on the podcast? You must review this on the podcast. And I was like, all right, all right, all right. Like, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> so, of course, the movie that we're talking about here is RRR, which is not a pirate film, by the way. <laughs> it stands for what was it? It stands for Rise, Revolt and Roar and Roar. Yeah. And there's a lot of there's a lot of roaring in this movie. Oh, Yes. That there is, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get too much into it because we are going to talk about it on the podcast, but I will say this, that that was one of the best theatrical experiences that I've had over the last couple of years. And seeing Top Gun Maverick and then that, like in succession back to back, was just, 
I walked away from both of those movies and just with a, a, a deep, deep appreciation for that theatrical experience in a way that I've always had it, but it just felt so reinforced Yeah. after these two movies in particular. And, and after these two years, I've missed that kind of crowd excitement. And I think what's really great about it, too, is it's the kind of crowd excitement that you get from seeing like a Marvel or Star Wars. But I like seeing that for these other types of movies. You know what I mean? Like, like at this point, I'm used to it in the MCU setting. And I just like that there is so such a fervent uh, reaction to movies outside of those franchises. Yeah. Wow. It gives it gives me hope that the industry is not going to be monopolized, even though if it kind of already is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's room for other types of entertainment than just one. And it's reminding audiences about that theatrical experience and that hopefully will make them keep coming back all summer. Also, too, introducing American audiences to a whole other film industry. Yes. I mean, I've seen a lot of people ask the question, why this particular movie? Why hasn't it been any of these other productions that have been put out there? And there's a lot of reasons for that. We'll go into it, obviously, in our podcast review tomorrow. But at the end of the day, (laughs) who cares if this is the first one? Let it be the springboard that gets people interested in seeking out more types of films such as this. I mean, we've seen international cinema through the rise of streaming and social media really take hold of American audiences over the last couple of years in ways that I don't think we've ever seen before. And I think this is just another continuation of that. And all the better for broadening your horizons. Agreed. This is a really exciting moment. Yeah, absolutely. So more to come on RRR uh, later on this week. Josh Parm, we'll pass it over to you now. What did you catch up with this week? Yeah, this was actually a pretty busy week. I managed to see a lot of stuff. Um, When we recorded last week, at that time I hadn't seen Top Gun Maverick, but I have now, and I will also reiterate all that's been said. It's a great movie. Love it to death. It was so fun and entertaining. I want to watch it so many more times. Yes, I joined the chorus also. Highly recommend that movie. Uh... Also saw Crimes of the Future, for which there is a podcast review of it. And I think I was with everybody else on that group, which is basically it's an interesting movie. A lot of fascinating ideas. Doesn't all coalesce together quite as well as I think we want it to. And I've been at a climactic at the end, but it's a Cronenberg movie. I'm always going to appreciate what he brings to it, even if it doesn't all work in the end. So still a fascinating movie, even if it is very flawed. Uh, I also saw this movie Dash Cam, which is a found footage horror movie that is coming out. Um, I did not really care for it all that much, I have to say. It centers around this lead character who is so grating and annoying. It was uh, was really like insufferable to follow her all the way through this movie. It got a little bit better in the second half where it really indulged in more like scary set pieces. And I thought that was good, but wasn't enough to save the movie. It, it's still a pretty bad, low-budget found footage horror movie. So had some potential things to be better, but overall still not very good in my opinion. I also saw this movie called Neptune Frost, um, which is like this really interesting, like Afrofuturistic setting where there's like intersex travelers through time and space and revolutions against technology. And it is 
there is so much going on in this movie and it's very interestingly kind of conceived with this peculiar world and these aesthetics. There's a lot of ideas. It kind of buckles under the weight of all those ideas. And it's another one where I don't know if it is all successful in the end, but I have to admit, I was captivated while watching it. Like it is a really bold vision from a filmmaking perspective. And I think your mileage will vary if you are like really into it, but I, I do admit that there was something engaging about the material, if, even if I didn't always connect with it. So if that one does come across your way, I would actually recommend checking it out just for the uniqueness of it, to be honest. Yeah, I got to echo that as well. That was not a movie that I particularly connected with, but it's kind of similar to Crimes of the Future. Just it, There's so many ideas and so much exploration and what it's trying to achieve that you can't help but be compelled by it. Yeah, like I don't think it all necessarily works in the end because there's a lot going on, but it's just so easy to just kind of sit back and kind of just let it wash over you at the same time. And I do appreciate what it was bringing to the material, even if it doesn't all work 100 percent. I still think I would recommend it just based on that. Yeah, Uh, I then saw this movie called Eiffel, which essentially is about the building of the Eiffel Tower and the guy behind it. It's a French movie that I I saw a trailer to it in front of something like a couple weeks ago, and I found that it was playing at a local theater. So I just said, you know, why, why not check this out? And I mean, the movie is just sort of OK. It's a little masterpiece theatery, to be honest, and kind of standard presentation of a biopic. But, you know, it wasn't terrible. But if it this is subject matter that's not like completely interesting to you. I wouldn't necessarily say you need to seek it out. Um, The cast was also sort of interesting too. One of the actors in it is the lead from Stranger by the Lake and Sorry Angel. So if you know who that actor is in those two movies, he's in it. I thought that was something that kind of interested me. And also Emma Mackey's in this movie too. Oh yeah. So it has sort of an interesting cast scores by Alexandre Desplat. So it's not an amazing movie, but if you're kind of a history buff around that time, I'm sure you'll get something out of it. So it was sort of interesting on, in that regard. Nice, nice. Yeah, and then the last thing that I want to mention is I finally saw one of my most anticipated films of the year, and that is Fire Island. Oh, yes, I'm watching this later today. Yeah, I adored this movie. I really, really did like it. I thought it was smart and very funny and sweet and sexy and all of those great things. It's, oh my God, the cast is so great. The writing is good. And I really do appreciate Andrew Ahn's direction as well that manages to find all the humor in the script and in these situations. But he also really does bring this grounded quality to it that hones in on the character work too. And I mean, I really do like him as a filmmaker. Spa Night was one of my favorite movies that came out that year and driveways is really good too. So I, I really did enjoy this movie. I thought it was really, really good. Yeah. I'm looking forward to watching this later today. I wish I had seen it in time for this recording, but just been a little, little busy, but I am going to yeah. get around to it. Cause I, I too appreciated driveways and I do think he's a filmmaker of considerable skill and not to mention too, I feel like the marketing for this movie was selling it as a certain type of film, but hearing that it, is very much an Andrew on movie like that. That gets me very excited. Yeah, I, I know that there was some concern that it seems like it's being sold as a broader comedy than it is. But in my opinion, that's what makes it even better is that there, yeah. you got those comedic moments and it. it is a very funny movie. But 
there really are some beautiful character moments in it too. And you know what? I'll even say, I am not somebody that really gets, you know, weepy eyed at romantic comedies, you know, no judgment. If you do, I just tend to not be the kind of person that does, but there are one or two moments that kind of had me a little bit. I I'm going to be honest. And that's pretty rare for me in this genre. So highly recommend this movie for you to see. I, I'm much more of a crybaby, so I'll have my tissues ready. Oh, yeah, I, I think you should be prepared then. <laughs> uh, outside of RRR, which I touched upon before, um, and some Tribeca films, which I'm under embargo for at the moment, um, I saw Hustle, starring Adam Sandler and a few other uh, notable names, but most notably um, Juancho Hernan Gomez, who is a professional NBA basketball player, and Adam Sandler is playing this basketball scout who really wants to be a coach. And he's pretty much down on his luck once the owner of the Philadelphia 76ers um, dies. That's like Robert Duvall in this. And uh, the ownership passes over to his son, played by Ben Foster. And Ben Foster wants to keep uh, Sandler as a scout. So Sandler, in order to kind of like buy his way back in into becoming like an assistant coach for the team, he ends up finding uh, this diamond in the rough player over in Spain uh, and his name is Bo Cruz in the movie and it's all about like Sandler desperately trying to get him into the NBA I gotta tell you like this movie is filled with every sports cliche you could possibly imagine however Jeremiah Zagar who uh, previously directed We the Animals has such a captivating way of not only filming and editing this movie, but also keeping it just grounded and focused on the characters. I think that Sandler and um, Hernan Gomez both give really, really good performances. In this. And Sandler in particular, this is one of his better performances. And I know I kind of joked about it when the trailer first dropped, but in many ways, I do kind of view this movie as, okay, what if the ending of Uncut Gems went differently and how he decided to turn his life around and he ends up like working in the NBA? <laughs> if you want to view it through that lens, it's actually kind of amusing. But in all seriousness, like Sandler is really delivering, I think, some of his better uh, stuff here. It's not quite on the same level as Punch Drunk Love or Uncut Gems, but I would put it up there. I would say it's like top five uh, performances that he's ever delivered. And the movie just works. Everything really just comes together very nicely. It doesn't necessarily surprise you in any way. Like I said, the script is very predictable. You know exactly where it's going. But I really appreciated that this was a Happy Madison production that I actually could get behind for once. So it's currently playing a limited release. It will be on Netflix in a couple of days. And I definitely highly recommend people check it out, especially if you're a fan of uh, Sandler's more dramatic work. I'm really excited to see that Uncut Gems was not a one-off. I mean, he did do Hubie Halloween. Let's not forget about this. Well, that is, that is true. <laughs> Nonetheless, he is building a dramatic career that I think is is really exciting. And yes. uh, that he can back this up after Uncut Gems with something that, from the sounds of it, is really in his wheelhouse. But he really delivers a punch to it. I'm very excited about where he may go. We may have a major um, midlife career for Adam Sandler that I'm really excited about. 
Yeah, definitely. Hi, guys. I'm Dean. And I'm Daniel. And we're from the Movie Journey Podcast. Where we break down every movie from the IMDb Top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. We're also home of the Pod V Pod, where we battle other podcasters in various movie games and drafts. We also do reviews of new releases, film tournaments, top five lists, and talk about everything else we've watched as well. We used to be the IMDb Journey Podcast, but since then, we've grown and matured with age. Yeah, if you don't believe us, why don't you listen to some more genuine testimonies. Oh, hey guys, I uh, I used to like the IMDb Journey podcast, but since then I've found something even better. It's the Movie Journey podcast. Oi bro, I know I said the IMDb Journey podcast was a good show, but the Movie Journey podcast is so much better. Absolutely for sure, yeah. You know, I used to think that nothing could be funnier than IMDb Journey, but I've now found my joy in Movie Journey podcast. The IMDb Journey Podcast is nothing compared to the Movie Journey Podcast. Absolutely love this podcast. <laughs> oh, amazing oh, testimonies once again. Absolutely legit and real. Of course. And if you still don't believe those testimonies, go ahead and check out the show for yourself by searching for the Movie Journey Podcast. You can find us on all your favourite platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and Podbean. So come along and join our journey. All right. So in talking about this week's uh, box office performance for Top Gun Maverick, it dropped less than 40% in its second week here, which is the best for a wide release that's open to $100 million plus. And it's made, I, I believe, like at this point, I think it's made like over $300 million already, uh, which is unbelievable. It's going to become the highest grossing film of Tom Cruise's career. Uh, it's it's really quite remarkable, and I do think that this is such a good sign for not just the rest of the summer, but hopefully, like I said earlier, for the rest of the year moving forward and beyond, because I just think about last year's box office, box office performance for so many movies that I was very, very excited to see that I wanted to see in a theater, might I add. Uh, and those movies all seem to crash and burn. Then Spider-Man No Way Home comes out. And yes, granted, it was great that people went to the cinema. People had a great experience watching that movie. But to me, that's not the kind of movie that I want to see necessarily uh, dominating the conversation in such a manner where it's the only type of film in town. I do want to see audiences reacting to a wide variety of, t- of films, which is why... Seeing people turn up for everything, everywhere, all at once, Top Gun, Maverick, and now like with this crossover appeal for RRR and a lot of people uh, venturing over to their local cinemas to watch it and even seeing cinemas uh, meet the demand to add it into more theaters uh, as opposed to because like Josh, you saw it like what back in the spring, right? Yeah, I saw it like pretty much right right before it took off in huge popularity. So it was still like doing some business, but it was kind of leaving theaters actually. And yeah, it is sort of weird now to see the popular, the popularity of it just really explode now and it being brought back in theaters. And yeah, it's, it's sort of amazing to see that. And it's streaming on Netflix and people have the ability to watch it at home, but yet people are choosing to go see it in the movie theater at this time. So, In looking at the performance of Top Gun Maverick and the type of film that it is and how it is not one of those major franchises that I was mentioning earlier, I got to ask, when you guys look at the summer movie slate for 2022, are you filled with like optimism that 
we'll continue to see good performance for these movies and almost maybe to the level of what things were before the pandemic? Or do you still think it's going to be a bit of hit or miss? I'm still a little mixed on it, to be honest. I am optimistic that people are starting to feel more comfortable to go back to theaters. And I do appreciate that. I still think people are going to be very selective about it. And, you know, looking at the summer, I think it's probably still going to be mostly the tentpole releases that are a familiar IP that are going to do well. And I still worry about the more original films, the smaller films that are coming out. I think we're still going to see that disparity to what degree. I think that it remains to be seen, but I am a little bit still worried about like the original movies out there, but in general, it does seem people are willing to go back. I just hope it's not so heavily tilted to familiar properties that do bring them back. Yeah. I think that a lot of the uh, big tentpole uh, releases they'll uh, every single weekend, um, will be familiar titles. And, you know, it's sometimes it's going to be very hard to predict what's going to hit among smaller movies. Um, there will be Marvel. They'll, you know, Thor is coming out. Uh, there will be Pixar. Lightyear is coming out. Um, and there will be Jordan Peele. Um, so there'll be very familiar things from weekend to weekend to weekend, which will probably hopefully keep the theaters afloat. Can we just like take a moment to appreciate that you mentioned Jordan Peele in the same sentence as those other movies and i just think it's incredible that he is a name director that can draw a crowd like that i just love that i wanted to just call attention to it <laughs> and it's much deserved i mean it, it, it it's not just film aficionados who love that uh you know when we when we first saw that trailer for nope it was one of the most brilliant trailers i've ever seen because it got me excited about it and i still don't know a damn thing about it that crawl from the top of the screen from director Jordan Peele, every time I see that play in a movie theater, you can hear the reactions from everybody around you because it's such a hushed, silent moment in the trailer. So you hear people going, oh, oh, he's it's him. Like, you know, stuff like that. I'm just like, yes, people are excited. <laughs> so I want to do this really quick. I want, I'm going to list off a couple of movies here. And when I say the film, you tell me if you think it's going to be a hit or a miss at the box office this summer. Are you guys ready? Okay. Yep. Bullet Train. Hit. Uh, uh, that's a hard one. You're actually starting off with. Uh, I actually am going to be pessimistic and say miss. I, I want it to be a hit, but I don't know. I suspect good first week, big drop second week. Elvis. Hit. A modest hit, yes. Yeah, modest hit. 3,000 Years of Longing. Oh, it's going to bomb so hard. <laughs> I want to see it so badly, but it's not making money. That's the flop of Lightyear, hit. Uh, yeah, massive hit. Yeah, I mean, right now, the, the uh, kids' market is starved. The Black Phone, hit. It'll make money because it's cheap. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, a hit relative to its budget. Yes, I, I agree. Nope. Hit. Yeah, that that's going to do very well. Can I say hit, but also like big drop off maybe? Because I have a, I just have this weird feeling the reviews for this one are going to be more mixed. You think it's going to be polarizing? I do. I, I don't know if Peel is going to go three for three. He might with some people, but I do think that this one will not have as strong of a critical reception as his previous two. Just a, just a feeling I have. I feel like Us was also kind of polarizing too. 
to a certain extent, but that also had bigger opening weekend box office results uh, than Get Out. And so it was, was able to follow up to Get Out. So there was a lot exactly. of anticipation yeah. for yeah. it. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just I just don't want him to turn it to M. Night Shyamalan mm. and, you know, and start off smash and then ooh, ooh, ooh. So well, I'm on head like, you know, three, four good movies in that run before it went off the cliff. So yep. he so okay. even if we are making that comparison, he's still in the kind of golden age. And even, hey, the third movie kind of dealing with aliens. Yep. <laughs> Coming out this weekend, Jurassic World Dominion. Oh, the, the hit. The, yeah, that massive hit, I think. Unfortunately, <laughs> I think it will be bigger than the second. I don't think it will be as big as the first one. Yeah, that seems about right. Yeah. And then last one, Thor, Love and Thunder. Definitely a hit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I got to tell you all, seeing Christian Bale in that new trailer. Ooh, I I'm so there for it. I don't care what the rest of the movie is like, honestly. <laughs> he looks like he's going for it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It'll be really interesting to see how the comedy plays. Yes. Yes. I don't know if they're making him into a comedic character so much. No. But. I agree with you. And also, too, I'm excited to just kind of see the Guardians of the Galaxy in this film and how they play off of Thor. Uh, now, yeah, I want to make it clear. I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, just put all the characters in, into all the movies and crossover. And, oh, that's what I'm that's what I'm here to see. No, I'm here to see a story. I'm here to see a continuation of a character's arc. And I'm also here to see Christian Bale. <laughs> <laughs> that's really it. At the end of the day, like for me, it's like. The selling point is Christian Bale in that makeup, looking like a heavy metal album cover, and that's it. <laughs> uh, so, out of all the movies that are coming out this summer, June, July, August, right before the fall film festivals kick in, what are some movies that you are most looking forward to seeing? What's got you the most excited? Tom? Well, among the ten poles, Nope is the one that I'm really excited about. Uh, and, uh, and for all the reasons we talked about above, um, in terms of smaller films, uh, I, I'm really excited to see Marcel, the shell with shoes. on. Oh my God. I yeah. cannot wait for you all to see that. Yeah. That's going to be, I think in terms of just the, maybe not as big, but in terms of just a sheer passionate love for this movie, I could see it being on the level of something like a patenting too. Oh. And boy, we need that right now. We really do. Mm -hmm. And there's there's some small festival films that are coming out. This this some of which I've seen that I would highly recommend um, to folks. Uh, Cha Cha Real Smooth is going to be out in t what two weeks now on Apple TV. Yep, I mean that'll be a movie that uh, most people will see from home. Uh, but I I'll tell you this much about that one in particular: watching Cha Cha Real Smooth and knowing that it was an Apple release. It did get me thinking about how Apple's big breakout titles so far have been Ted Lasso and Coda. And if you're into that feel-good type of story, Cha-Cha Real Smooth fits very, very nicely in there, even though I do think it is a bit more profound and sad at times than those other two. Uh, there's still a lightness to it that I think matches very well with... Uh, those other two properties. And I think that in that regard, Apple, if they continue like being the place to go to for these types of uh, stories that make you feel this way, 
Um, I really do think they they could carve out, carve out a unique niche for themselves as compared to some of the other streamers and studios out there. Yeah. And and I think that people I think Apple will probably sell this for the humor and the entertainment value. But there's a certain poignancy to it that I think that people are going to remember. Yes. Once they see it. And that's really right in the Apple wheelhouse. You know, a movie I feel like would have played well on Apple kind of fitting into that same that same uh, category of film, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, eighth grade. Oh, wow. That's like the kind of feeling I got when I saw Cha Cha Real Smooth was watching a movie like that, you know? The, the characters in eighth grade um, are, are just so relatable, and I found the same thing about Cha Cha Real Smooth. Exactly. Yeah. Josh, what about you? Well, honestly, I think that my most anticipated summer movie is Bullet Train. And I. it's a shame that I don't have like that optimistic feeling of how it's going to perform at the box office but the fact that this is an original action movie you know not based on any known ip um that does interest me and it has a really great cast in it too and it looks like it'll be a fun time and just to break up all the superheroes and sequels and remakes out there like that really does interest me so i, I am very much looking forward to seeing that movie it has a really terrible poster but I agree. Yeah. It looks excellent. Uh, David Leach, who has directed Atomic Blonde, Deadpool 2, Hobbs and Shaw, like he's proven himself as an action director to the point that that's not what I'm worried about with this. I think it will be a really good time. The question is, is if the story is worth it. And I think when you have your lead as Brad Pitt, who can be very selective about the types of projects that he does take on, Something tells me that this is going to play very well. I hope so, because it looks like a lot of fun. But I'm always worried about movies that come out that are on this scale and don't have known IP attached to it. I, I, I do always worry about that with, with general audiences, but I still really want to see the movie. It, it does look a lot like a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, what would be, uh, you know, I was just thinking about this a second ago in terms of like a Brad Pitt actioner that didn't really meet expectation like What's the worst case scenario for this? It would be akin to something like World War Z, because even that I think like really sur like surp uh, surpa surpass people's expectations to yeah. a certain degree. Like I can't remember the last time Brad Pitt was leading an action film uh, that didn't do well. Yeah, uh, I guess Ally doesn't count, does it? <laughs> <laughs> there was some steamy action between the two stars in that. Yeah, nobody remembers that movie though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even Lost City, he was so much fun in that, even though yeah. uh, his role was smaller than I thought it was going to be. When he came, when he came on screen, I was just kind of chuckling from people. It's like, oh, yeah, this is great. Absolutely. Yeah. Joey King is also set to have, I think, a really good summer with this and uh, The Princess. You guys see the trailer for that this week? Mm. No. No, you didn't? Oh, man. This is uh, going to be a Hulu uh, release, and it... Basically, she's playing like this medieval fairy tale princess who, uh, in, in like subverting genre like expectations, she actually turns out not to be the damsel in distress, but actually the action hero. And she's like kicking ass, and there's all these martial arts sequences, and there's gore and blood, and she's cursing. It just looked like a lot of fun. Oh, I like that. Mm -hmm. Definitely check out the trailer for this when you get a chance. Yeah, it's going to be nice for her. Um, I would also say another movie that I'm looking forward to is we mentioned it 
3,000 years of logging. I do think it's going to be a big old flop. Not going to make any money, but I'm still so excited to see that movie. I am always going to be here for George Miller doing wacky stuff. And I, yeah, ever since that trailer premiered, I've been obsessed with it. And I, that's another one I simply cannot wait to see. I know reaction has been polarizing, but that actually only makes me more interested to see it. I got to be honest with you all, like the same way that you feel about 3000 years of longing is the same way that I feel about Elvis, where it's like I'm heading into this knowing that it could go either way for me and I'm expecting it to be this mess of a film. But right now, at this point in my life, I'm really drawn to movies that are just bombastic, over the top, big and worthy of the theatrical experience. So even though I have reservations about 3000 years of longing and Elvis because they did premiere a can and they did get sort of a mixed reception. Uh, I think 3000 years, a bit more of an Elvis actually surprisingly. So there's still a part of me that's very much looking to forward to seeing both of them. Uh, but the one that I'm probably the most excited for that it, it's not Thor love and thunder. Just, just so you know, <laughs> God, <laughs> it, it probably is. Nope. Just because of the credibility of Jordan Peele and what he has delivered with his last two films, even though there's a part of me that does feel like something about this movie isn't going to totally work as well as the others, I am still curious. But outside of that, there's one A24 film that I'm not hearing a lot of people talk about, but I think will be a lot of fun. And that's Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Yes. <laughs> I remember the reviews dropping for this from South By, and everybody said it's such a good time. There's a lot of twists and turns in it. The cast is so much fun. And that trailer did a really great job of selling me on it as well. It's got a, you know, a young cast of actors that some of them we know pretty well. Uh, and some we're just getting acquainted with, like Rachel Sennett, who I hear is the breakout uh, star of this one. Lee Pace is in it. I mean, there's so many selling points here, and I'm just very much looking forward to seeing what this uh, 2022 modern day version of, I guess, Clue looks like. <laughs> yeah, I am somewhat interested. The trailer, I don't know if the trailer like completely sold me on it. Like some of the the Gen Z humor, I I don't know if I'm gonna really vibe with it. If I'm gonna be honest, but. Uh, it still looks like it'll be fun overall. So I don't know if I'm like highly anticipating it, but I do want to see it. I mean, the cast is selling it to me. I mean, I, I really love the Mandia Stenberg and uh, the hate you give. Yes. And, uh, it's nice to see Maria Bakalova get a role. Yes. So, I mean, I, I'm going to go for that. Pete Davidson, maybe, but I'm going to, this is one of those that I'm going to try and stay as far away from and go in not knowing as much as I can, because I would really like to go in cold to this. Mm-hmm. Same, same. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, 
This is death Ready. of a film star. And Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. There are a couple of movies, and I know we've already mentioned them a bit here, that we actually saw at some of the film festivals earlier in the year. You know, um, we mentioned before Cha-Cha Real Smooth, but there's also Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, yeah. uh, which got a really good reception out of Sundance, and I would highly recommend people watch for Emma Thompson's performance. Josh, I know you and I are a little split on Resurrection. I very much loved it. I know you didn't hate it, but I know you have a lot more reservations with it than I do. <laughs> yeah, I was sort of the outlier on that movie. I wasn't that big of a fan of it, but I will say... Rebecca Hall does give a really great performance. So if you have to see it, I would say 100% do it for her. And also, too, there's Breaking with John Boyega. Did any of you see this at Sundance? It was previously known as 892. I didn't see that one, no. I missed that. Yeah, it's a really good movie. It reminded me a lot of John Q in a way, uh, where it's a single location film. Uh, There's... um, you know, cops coming in uh, because of a bomb threat and there's negotiations taking place. John Boyega is really, really good in it. And it's also the uh, last on-screen performance that we'll see from Michael K. Williams. And it's not great, but I think it's worth it just to see John Boyega really flexing his acting muscles and delivering something that I think, you know, was very, very deeply underutilized in the Star Wars films, and he continued to show in the Small Axe anthology uh, movie that he did with Steve McQueen. He's a really good actor, and I think that Hollywood just needs to give him the types of roles that used to go to somebody like Denzel Washington, but you know sh- should now be going over to a young star like him because he's just phenomenal. It's a it's a career that I hope he really kind of keeps going with because uh, you know right now I think is a key time for in the development of his career. So hopefully this will work. You know, and we mentioned Lightyear before, you know, the summer's always a really good time for animated films because that's also a great time for kids to be going uh, to the movie theater. So outside of Lightyear, uh, we also have another Minions film coming out, which I haven't really been the biggest fan of this franchise. So those are terrible movies. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I can't say with certainty that I'll even see this upcoming one, to be honest with you. Uh, but there is one in particular from Netflix that I'm looking forward to called The Sea Beast. Have you guys seen yeah. anything about this one? Yes. I've seen the trailer for it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's going to surprise people, and I think that's going to be a really good one. Um, and then there's Luck, uh, which is going to be released by, uh, I believe, Apple TV, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's an Apple yes. movie. Yeah. And uh, I'd like to place a plug if you're a fan of Docs. There are two really excellent docs coming out this summer. One in July called Fire of Love. 100% agreed yes. Oh. This ah, it's it's a it's a love story. It's visually just stunning. Try and see it on the biggest screen you can. About two French volcanologists who are a mm-hmm. and uh, it is just they. It, it, it's a fascinating journey through their lives together, and just visually stunning. Um, that that's coming out in July, 
And there is another one coming out in August that I would really liked. It sounds dry as toast. It's called The Territory. Holy shit. This oh, was yeah. excellent. That's coming out in August? It's coming out August 19th in theaters. That might have been my favorite doc of Sundance. I, I mean, it's so tough because I loved Navani. I loved Fire of Love. I, there were so many good docs this year. But this was definitely, if not the number one, uh, definitely top three. It's superbly done uh, about the uh, Brazilian rainforest, and boy, you really get into the in, into the uh, uh, you want to cheer these uh, indigenous folks there who are just trying to save where they live. It's it's a, just a terrific film and one that I think will hopefully uh, entrance audiences um, this coming August. So the, the so two great docs uh, to put on your calendar. Yes, mm -hmm. I, I cannot I cannot agree more. Like literally two of the best that you will see all year. Yeah, the territory is really good. I really did like that one. I unfortunately missed Fire of Love, Fire of Love at Sundance, but I saw the trailer for it and it just looked like something that I would also just fall in love with as well. So I cannot wait to see that. Some of the most astounding volcano footage I've ever seen. Mm. I mean, when Tom says you should see it on a big screen, like if this Nat Geo documentary is playing like in one of those nature like IMAX uh, theaters that you have that show those like nature documentaries, oh. highly recommended in that format. That'd be stunning. Mm -hmm. Can't wait. All right. So, I mean, hopefully it's a good summer. <laughs> I, 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 I hope I pray. We'll see. I'm not expecting every film here to necessarily be a hit with critics or with the box office for that matter. But Obviously, I remain optimistic, and I want to encourage people as we go through these upcoming weeks. Yes, there are the big titles that everybody will see, but just keep in mind these smaller movies as well that do need your support. So if you do have a chance to go to the theater this summer to see something small, by all means, please take the opportunity to do so. What's up, guys? Gerald from Two Peas on a Podcast here. Are you just sitting there thinking to yourself, man, I really love some dude in his garage sitting around talking about arbitrary countdowns and his favorite things in the world of movies, music, and TV. Well, guess what? That's me. Please look me up. My name is Gerald, and I am from Two Peas on a Podcast. If you want to subscribe to my countdown show, I have a different co-host every week. It's often someone from the world of podcasting or entertainment, and we go through our top five favorite things in whatever that week's category is. You can find links to all of our content, subscribe via your favorite podcast app, and follow us on social media. The easiest thing to do is just head to our website, which is www.2peasonapod.com. I hope you look me up and join the party. It's a lot of fun. See you soon. All right, let's talk about the polls for last week. So for last week's poll, we asked everyone, which films are you most looking forward to seeing from the 2022 Cannes Film Festival? Now, I want to just say really quick before I read off what the community had to say here that Crimes of the Future already came out this weekend, and originally that film did land in the top 10. I'm not going to say where it landed in the top 10, but I did decide to knock it out because a lot of people obviously already caught up with it, and I wanted to slide another film into the top 10 as a result of that. So just know that Crimes of the Future, originally in the top 10, not going to be announced as in the final top 10, no, because most of you have already seen it or are planning on seeing it this uh, this upcoming week. So, Tom, what about you? What are you most looking forward to seeing from the 75th annual Cannes Film Festival based on the buzz and reactions? Boy, and it not just for the palm, but 
triangle of sadness sounds just up my alley. Oh my gosh. And I'm like many people, not a huge fan of the square, but I was a big fan of force majeure. I really like this guy. And, uh, that the, the idea of this film and the screenplay reaction is just gotten me buzzed. So I'm, that's the, my number one. And of course, broker and decision to leave are, you know, round out my top three. And those are three that I am dying to see whenever they came out, I'll be there first day. I love that in every photo I see of Ruben Osland from Cannes, he's just screaming. <laughs> and I just love that energy that he's bringing. I almost want to see him win an Oscar just so we get that photo op of him holding it, like rage screaming. <laughs> I, I just want to see that image so badly. <laughs> I hope he doesn't become the new James Cameron in Top of the World. <laughs> he would be the type to say something like that, wouldn't he? <laughs> or Benini. Like, we don't need that energy back. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, what about you? Yeah. Oh, God, there's so many that I am looking forward to. Um, I mean, I think if I had to say what's at the top, probably would be Decision to Leave. I, I am just so fascinated in uh, Park Chan-wook's career and what he's got coming out. So I'm very much looking forward to that. I would also say Close is another one that just given the reaction people had to it and uh, just what I've been hearing of it just sounds like it's I don't know if it's going to be great, but I am very interested to see it. And another one would be After Sun, because that it just seemed like everybody's description of that film sounded like a checklist of everything I love in movies. So uh, that's another one that I am very, very much looking forward to seeing. Cosign on After Sun, which went very much under the radar before the festival, but emerging from the festival, it seemed to get the strongest critical reception and the most passionate responses from people who saw it. So that is definitely up there now. That'll be distributed by A24. Triangle of Sadness sounds like it's very much up my alley as well. I cannot wait to see how outrageous it is. Um, I hope that I haven't had too much of it spoiled for me based on what I've heard from the festival, and I hope there are more surprises in store. But overall, cannot wait to see what that's going to hold, especially with a crowd. And then I would say Decision to Leave as well, just for the mastery of Park Chan-wook. I'm pretty stoked to see what this movie ultimately is because I've heard that it's a police procedural that turns into a romance and it's, you know, got not necessarily the same twists as his previous movies, but it still has that level of technical precision to it. And I've heard the performances are really strong. So I would say that those are probably my top three overall. Let's see what the MVP film community had to say though. And number 10, oh man, number 10, they want to see that ass. EO. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Good. Number nine, Holy Spider, which every time I save a title for that, I'm like, Holy Spider. No. What's <laughs> <laughs> the uh, word for that movie? I don't know who's distributing it, though. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure either. No. I don't even know who's going to want to touch it because I've heard that it's got a large section of the movie told from the perspective of the serial killer. So that could be a huge turnoff for audiences, and it might be part of the reason why it hasn't been picked up quite yet. Yeah, I think it's Utopia, but I'm not sure. Number eight. We won't have to wait that long. 3,000 years of longing. Yep. It's coming. And I will be there. <laughs> Number seven. It's time. It's Armageddon time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got to say, I feel like a lot of the 
reservations that I've heard about this movie, I can't help but feel like I'll probably have those erased the minute I see the trailer for this. But then I can definitely see myself watching it and realizing, oh, this is like good. It's well-intentioned, but there's a lot of flaws here. Like almost similar to, I'm not gonna, I'm not saying it's gonna be on this level, but like something akin to like a green book, where your heart is in the right place, but you've made a couple of missteps along the way, and it's going to get eaten alive by people when it comes out. Yeah. Number six. You know, Josh, you mentioned this film before. I I agree with you. I very much want to see how this movie is going to pummel my heart into submission. Close. Yeah, uh, I know that Lucas Don't's last movie was met with a ton of controversy, and it sounds like there is like some potential there with this one, too. But I, I do wonder what the reception will be like for this one. And I'm still very fascinated to see it. Number five is After Sun. Mm, yeah, which my prediction for this is I could see this performing the same way that the Florida Project did, where it didn't premiere in competition at Cannes, but it got such an overwhelming reception that it was like one of the talks of the town from that festival. A24 picks it up and they take it to, you know, some of the various fall film festivals to help build up that buzz. It releases. It's critically acclaimed. Everyone seems to love it. Places on a ton of top 10 lists and people hope and think it's going to be an Oscar contender. And maybe it gets like one nomination in the end, because at the end of the day, it's just too small. Uh, I hope I'm wrong based on what I've been hearing, because I've talked to a lot of people who have seen it and they are loving it so, so much that it's got me just curious. Okay, well, if the passion is there, can this be willed into existence despite how small the movie it is? And Paul Mescal, you know, I was saying this uh, offline uh, earlier, but. He's an actor that we all seem to like because he's, you know, pretty relatively young in his career right now. And, you know, he's delivered strong work so far, uh, but he doesn't have the credibility of someone like a Willem Dafoe. So, yeah, it's going to make it really, really difficult for him to break through. This is from, I believe, a uh, first time director, Charlotte Wells. Like, I just don't know where this film would break through in the Oscar conversation. But then again, you know, we've seen movies kind of come out of nowhere sometimes to you know, be that type of film that just hits across the board in categories that make it almost like a Cinderella story for the little indie movie that could, you know? I, I don't know where this is going to fall quite yet, but I'm leaning more towards that Florida Project route. Yeah. I've seen a lot of interviews with folks who've seen it at Cannes and talking, I saw a lot of films, and they would mention the big, big titles, and then they'd been, oh, but there's After Sun. And you can almost see the smile on their face when they say it. It mm -hmm. seems to be a movie that's not only uh, respected, but is becoming beloved. Yeah. And those are the wild cards in the Oscar race. Number four, Elvis. I mean, yeah, I, I get it. It's the big Baz Luhrmann movie that is really looking like to be a big Oscar contender, too. Can't say I'm not curious. I'm yeah. curious for Austin Butler. Yeah. I'm curious to see if it will be the type of performance, like kind of like what we're saying with Paul Mescal, where, you know, here's a young guy, hasn't really done much necessarily, but it could be such a star-making performance that it could get him into that best actor conversation when all is said and done. And if not, we know Catherine Martin's probably going to be in the conversation for something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. For production design and or costume design. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 
Number three. I'm surprised it ain't number one, but number three is Triangle of Sadness. Yeah. Well, I mean, top three, I figured it would slot somewhere in, in that realm. Yeah. Yeah. Number two is Decision to Leave. And by a difference of six votes, the winner is Broker. No. The Song King Ho fans came out for it. <laughs> I have noticed that that movie does have a passionate online following. Yeah. The minute you even save a title broker, it's like just a bunch of accounts from South Korea just immediately <laughs> start swarming in. <laughs> Which I appreciate. Hey, if it gets people to see a Korea film, I'm all for it. Yeah, yeah. Looking but forward to that too. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like though in those with those three titles, they have a chance to break into other above the line categories. Hopefully. Hopefully, we'll see. Yeah. You know, I, I would say probably Decision to Leave right now is looking at things like Best Director, maybe, for Park Chan-wook. Although it's going to be really tough because that movie's being distributed by movie. Yeah. And I don't know how much power they're going to have behind it in the award season race to even get it there. It may not even be selected as a submission for international feature. Uh, Broker, I have a feeling, will be selected. But I don't know if it'll contend for anything outside of that and things like screenplay, director, or even Song Kang-ho. Like, I just haven't seen, like, the overwhelming consensus support to push that quite yet. Yeah. But, the, but, the, but then again, we said the same thing about Drive My Car last year. Exactly. That is yeah. true. Yeah. It was like a pipe dream to think that it maybe could get adapted screenplay at, at when we first saw that movie. And it had such a overwhelmingly passionate response to it. Um, I, I still don't know the question about which movie is going to represent South Korea, because I do think that Broker not being directed by a South Korean filmmaker might be something they take into account with that. So I, I still don't know where those two movies are going to land. It's going to be a really interesting development when that happens. I think Broker com- it comes across to me, at least, as more of a written movie than a directing in the way Decision to Leave seems very much a director's film. Um, but the the screenplay ca- category with indie films is filling up already so quickly with Triangle of Sadness and Cha Cha Real Smooth. And also Everything Everywhere All at Once. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, the, the indie slots are going are few and maybe taken already. We could even see After Sun maybe in there. Who knows? Uh, but I feel pretty confident of Ruben Oshlin getting nominated for original screenplay for Triangle of Sadness, especially if Neon plays their cards right with this. I don't know about picture and director, but I would definitely wager that screenplay is its likeliest bet right now. Agreed. All right. And then the poll question for this week We've kind of already gone over it, so we're not going to ask again, but it's which summer movie are you most looking forward to seeing this season? So June, July, August, cast a vote there. You could choose up to three films for which movies you are most looking forward to seeing this summer. And now I want to head on over to a trailer for this week, and that is for The Menu, directed by Mark Mylod, who you've probably recognized from a number of television projects over the years, such as Succession, Game of Thrones. This movie is starring Ray Fiennes, Anya Taylor-Joy, Nicholas Holt, and a few others as well. It is being released by Searchlight Pictures in theaters, not going straight to Hulu, on November 18th. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one and give some thoughts. Good evening. Welcome to Hawthorne. It'll be our pleasure to feed you. Tonight will be magical. 
Over the next few hours, you will ingest fat, salt, protein, and at times entire ecosystems. We're eating the ocean. We're eating the ocean. Are you crying? <laughs> it's just I find it all very moving. So it's okay that I'm not as into this as you are. Oh my god. You shouldn't be here tonight. Yeah. I am creeped out. Not what I was expecting. I, I, I did not know that this was going to be a thriller. Uh, honestly, even when I read the plot synopsis for it, it didn't strike me as that kind of movie. Yeah, I didn't really know that much about it, and I honestly feel like I still don't know a ton about it either, which I really do like about this, this like little teaser that we got. So I'm very intrigued, and this cast is amazing. Like I would have seen it just for that and not knowing anything else. It definitely screams to me as like a... This is not a pun, believe me, but eat the rich type of movie. Yeah. Uh, because it does look like the characters played by Anya Taylor-Joy, Nicholas Holt, and whoever else is in there, Judith Light and a few others, they seem to be the type of aristocratic, upper-scale, wealthy types of uh, people who get trapped in this restaurant. The chef, uh, played by Ray Fiennes, who knows if he's like a Gordon Ramsay type or whatever he is, but it seems to me like he has like his cooks and everybody else in the kitchen like working for him that are keeping the guests trapped in there for what purpose and to what end I do not know but it seems to me like Anya Taylor-Joy is going to be the audience surrogate who is a part of this world probably married I think to Nicholas Holt's character but she is she says in the movie like this is not really like for me like all this upscale fine dining and eating and I think in many ways she'll be the sympathetic character that we'll root for amongst that group. Yeah, it seems like it, for sure. Yeah. And this seems like one of those films where the art direction is really all important it, because that restaurant looks so cold. Yeah. In terms of the mechanical design of it, it just doesn't feel like this is a welcoming place and that I'm, you know, you're always uncomfortable even looking at the diners eating in a place like that. A part of me thought that this might go to Telluride based on the release date and the fact that it was Searchlight and it's getting a theatrical run as opposed to streaming. But after seeing this trailer, I don't know if this is a film festival play. If it is, maybe Toronto? Maybe, yeah. Yeah, I because I just don't see this going to something like Venice or anything like that. It, it just seems too genre-y. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it doesn't really feel like a Venice movie. No, I, I can, yeah, I definitely can see Toronto given the release date. Or maybe it does go to Venice. I mean, last night in Soho did. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how much clout Mark Mylod has to make that happen necessarily, but. Yeah. yeah, but last night in Soho was also like initially positioned as, I think, maybe an Oscar contender. I, I don't feel like we're getting that buzz around the menu. It feels a little bit more broad i mean still want to see it not to diminish what the quality might be but it just feels like the intentions of the kind of longer road of that movie are different and that's why it would seem weird to show up at venice to me i wonder if there's aspects of ray fine's performance that the teaser is hiding from us i hope so yeah yeah it's nice to see him in commanding role again Mm -hmm. as opposed to like a supporting role yeah 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 i'm with you on that for sure I mean, it looks it looks really interesting and cool. And like I said, it doesn't really feel like it reveals too much about the story, which is the perfect balance you want to have. And this cast looks great. So, yeah, I am definitely intrigued by it. I do wonder if this will play as like a double feature alongside Fresh. 
Like, is this going to be like another cannibal movie? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can only hope that it is better than fresh. <laughs> fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. All right. And now let's head on over to the MVP film community for this week. Let's see what questions they had to ask us as we wrap up episode 297 here. Hey, everyone. I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. John Anzalone, in a perfect world, what type of nominations could RRR theoretically receive? Seems like it's going to be an uphill battle for anything, given what we know about award season. Yeah, I I agree with John. I I don't know. I don't even know if this is something that would even be selected for Best International Feature, to be honest with you. Um, I actually think there is a possibility that could happen because India does tend to submit populist movies that they have done that in the past. And with this one being such a big crossover hit, they might say, yeah, why not? People at least this is one people have seen. So I could see it maybe being selected. I don't think it will get nominated for anything, honestly, but uh, you know, it should contend in a lot of stuff. It should contend for international feature and a lot of those crafts. But I do think it's going to be an uphill battle, as was said. Agreed. Adam Clay, between the Batman and Top Gun Maverick, which film do you think will be more successful scoring below the line nominations at the Oscars? Oh, I think definitely Maverick. Uh, I think that. Yeah, I'm going to say that. I'm going to say Maverick as well. That's not to say I think the Batman's not going to get any nominations, but. I think the release date for the Batman certainly hurt it. And Warner Brothers is going to do need to do a lot to remind people and really center their campaign around that because it's not going to have any performances that drive it to uh, a Best Picture nomination or anything like that. It won't get into director or screenplay. It really is just a tech player when all is said and done. So they're really going to have to highlight the makeup work, the score, the sound, the production design, you know, those kinds of elements. I still think it could, you know, score uh, some of those nominations in the end. I, I I could see it getting about, you know, anywhere from two to four nominations. Yeah. I, yeah. Individual crafts, definitely. Yeah. And let me tell you, Maverick, I'm going to keep saying it until I'm proven otherwise. Uh, I'm not predicting it right now, but the passion in the box office for this movie, don't write this off for a Best Picture play. Like, I would not do that so easily. Yeah, I mean, I'm still a little skeptical about that, I, even though I do love the movie. I'm still in wait and see on that. Um, but I do think that Maverick, between it and the Batman, is going to have a better shot at some nominations. I really think there's a world where the Batman couldn't, could receive zero nominations, honestly. I, I don't think it's likely, but I could even see that happening. Whereas, I mean, Top Gun Maverick, minimum, is going to have a sound nomination. Yeah. Really. And, uh, you know, there are friends of mine who just don't like the Batman and no one doesn't like Maverick. That's true. That is true. Benny Dawson, after recent set pictures revealed that Maestro is not only going to be an Oscar bait Netflix biopic, but an Oscar bait Netflix biopic with a ton of prosthetics. 
do you think it's possible the film could snatch a best makeup and hairstyling Oscar along with a overdue best actor Oscar for Bradley Cooper? I mean, this does scream to me when we saw that first photo of Gary Oldman as Winston Churchill. Yeah. Do you guys remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember. (laughs) And so even if Bradley Cooper does not win Best Actor, like, yeah, I would already kind of pencil this in for your Best Makeup and Hairstyling winner. However, I don't think this is coming out this year. I think it's coming out next year. I think so, too. Um, Yeah. Cooper's kind of a perfectionist, and I, I, I can, I th- don't think it's going to be ready. Yeah, I would be shocked if it is. Honestly, I mean, the set photos, like they're shooting it now. After they shoot it, they need to edit it. They have to get the sound mix done. There's not a lot of time left to do such a thing. No, no. But I have to say, the makeup work is stunning. Oh yeah, it is impressive. I am getting a little tiresome of the transformational makeup set photo and that being the start of give them the Oscar now. Like I I am starting to get kind of tired of, of this, uh, this trope over and over again. So I'm not too enthusiastic about that, but just based on this photo, like, yes, it is very impressive makeup work for sure. All hail King shark. Does the acting branch of the Academy have a problem considering they're the only ones nominating mediocre biopics like being the Ricardos and mostly ignoring foreign language performances when other branches have been embracing these types of films? Is there any way to fix this? Yeah, I think the acting branch is in serious trouble, in my opinion. And I think last year was very um, it was a very, very big showcase of that, because yeah, you look at what they did nominate three nominations for being the Ricardos. Like my God. And, and the only performance not in English was Penelope Cruz who definitely deserved it. Don't get me wrong. But even that it's like, she's a former Oscar winner and a known quantity. And it does feel like every other branch of the Academy has been a little bit more adventurous, but there's still something about the actors that have been holding progress back. And I do think that that is a significant problem right now. I have a very easy explanation for this. They're the largest branch of the Academy. Yeah. Yep. And the larger you get in your group of voters, the more populous the choices are going to be. Yep. There's kind of no avoiding that. The smaller your pool, the more inspired your choices will be. Look at some critics groups. You know, they've got like 12 voting members and then they produce these nominees and winners where you're like, oh, man, this is so inspired and great. Yeah. And then last year was also weird with with these acting categories because it wasn't just at the oscars like remember when the bafta long list came out and of all of those nominations that were on those lists or all those performances only one wasn't in english so it, it seems to be like a bigger problem of groups not recognizing performances that aren't in english it just seems to be a more systemic problem yeah, and, and it's not a, completely a question of friends voting for friends because, I mean, actors do hang out with actors. Um, but nonetheless, it seems to be the same names every year, mm-hmm. and it's getting tiring. All right, kind of going off of Adam Clay's previous question, but this time for Above the Line, even Leibowitz, does Everything Everywhere All at Once have a better chance than Top Gun Maverick at getting a Best Picture nomination? Ooh. Hmm. I would say it actually has a slightly better chance 
Um, just because I do think there's a world in which the critics would really rally behind everything everywhere to make sure it stays in the conversation. And there might be a feeling that Top Gun will be mostly fine just in like the below the line stuff. So they're both going to be equally difficult, I think. But I, if I'm forced to pick one, I think I'd give the slight edge to everything everywhere. I think they're both definitely in the conversation. I think what Maverick has in its pocket is the voters that uh, Ann Thompson calls the steak eaters. And they, mm-hmm. in the, the voters in the tech categories, they vote and they're going to go for Maverick. Cosign, both of you. Yeah. Uh, motion picture enjoyer. Why don't animated films get nominated for Best Picture anymore? We got two in the first two years of the expanded era. I see no reason why Soul wouldn't get in during the pandemic year or why Encanto shouldn't have gotten in a year of 10. Is it just that Disney doesn't campaign them for this category anymore? Uh, Well, you you stop and think of the ones that did get through. And they were back when Pixar was could do no wrong. I mean, they were red hot during that period. Absolutely. Producing masterpiece after masterpiece like that was the pinnacle and what we hold other Pixar films, like as far as the standard goes to this day. Yeah. No, and no knock on Pixar, but Disney's handling of them recently, has, partially because of the pandemic, but also partially to bolster Disney Plus, is um, kind of their second class citizen sometimes, I feel. Uh, particularly their treatment of turning red. I also just think, too, you know, Soul was in a year where it was still the sliding scale. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the difference is that in 2009 and 2010, it was a year of 10 where the voting was different compared to the sliding scale where you have to list less uh, films down on your voting ballot. So when you have the 10, there's more likely chance that an animated film will land in there somewhere. And listen, I know people love Encanto. I know it was supremely popular. Encanto didn't deserve to be in the best picture conversation. Like, let's let's calm down a little bit here. Yeah, yeah no, you need a movie to really, like, break out in a significant way. And, you know, we've just returned to the 10. And yeah, Encanto wasn't going to be that movie. Uh, I could make an argument in a year of 10. Like, I really could make an argument for Soul. But there is an equal number of movies in that year that I think also had a similar fighting chance as that film did, especially based on the nominations of the films received. Yeah. yeah like I, I think we will see it happen again, but it just needs to be a really particular case of a huge, huge like crossover hit with an animated film. Uh, speaking of animated films, Scott Kernan wants to know with Apple TV plus having two animated features this year with luck in August and spellbound in November, is it possible that the streamer will beat Netflix in this category to become the first to win best animated feature? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Well, you gotta uh, be Disney first. <laughs> like that—that's yeah. the biggest hurdle. Yeah, but I gotta—I gotta be honest with you, though. I don't think Lightyear is going to be that film for them this year. I don't think so. I mean, right now, if anything, Turning Red is a better contender, I think, than Lightyear. I mean, I would hope so, but they just default to Disney so much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do believe that this year. If Lightyear does not meet expectations, and we'll know in a few days, uh, people are seeing it this week, then it does leave the door open for something other than Disney to win this year. Yeah, I hope so. God, please, something else. And Netflix came close with Mitchell's. Yes, they did. 
So and we can't. They all ha- came close with Klaus a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Should have came close if I lost my body, but that's okay. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. what they yeah. really should have won for. But you know, Klaus was closer to that award. Yeah, I am really curious though that if it isn't Lightyear, what is it? Yeah, I mean, Sea Beast is a possibility. Sure. Yeah, uh, and then Netflix also has the, uh, the Del Toro, Pinocchio. They don't they have also the Henry Selleck movie coming out. They do. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, there's some options there. It it depends on how things shake out. But, yes, I would be ecstatic for anybody but Disney to win at this point. Please, anybody but this one company. <laughs> I mean, I think for an early prediction when we get down to it, unless if Lightyear really does surpass expectations, I do think my number one choice for the category will probably be Del Toro for Pinocchio. Like, that'll be, like, my placeholder for the time being. Yeah, it's... well, it's definitely the Pinocchio movie we're looking forward to more than the other one. Oh, man. Oh. I completely forgot that existed until you just brought it up. Yep. <laughs> I tried my best to, like, wipe it from my memory. It was almost like watching the Cats trailer. Oh. Almost. God. <laughs> There's Tom Hanks again. Oh, boy. All right. Last question here from Isaiah Washington. One's got to go. Movie characters. Princess Leia from the Star Wars franchise. Michael Corleone from the Godfather franchise. Henry Jones Jr. from the Indiana Jones franchise or Sarah Connor from the Terminator franchise? Why does Isaiah do this to us? <laughs> <laughs> Love you, but my God, these are tough. One's got to go. Um, I can't I can't kick out Michael Corleone. Sorry. No, can't do that. So he's staying. And Henry Jones Jr. is the film. Yeah, he's staying. Oh, I don't like that it comes down to the two ladies though, like that. Ugh. I know. I gotta go. Uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick out Princess Leia. Sorry, I. Sarah Connors for me is staying on the sheer power of Terminator Two: Judgment Day alone. Yeah, uh, I would pick Princess Leia just because she is associated with Star Wars, and I don't care about Star Wars. That's <laughs> easy for me. Like I love Carrie Fisher, but. Anything with Star Wars, like anything that can cut out a toxic conversation that comes up like every other week on Twitter, I'll take it. (laughs) I don't know. I'm having a hard time with that because at least with Carrie Fisher, um, on the third or fourth watches of Star Wars, I just gravitate to her. Yeah. Um, I could see a Terminator movie without Sarah Connor being interesting. Uh, not nearly as good as Terminator 2, but nonetheless, I'm probably going to go with her very reluctantly. Tough one, though. Yes, definitely. All right. Well, I'll just say as a final note here, the Tribeca Film Festival is starting on June 8th here in New York. It is opening up with the Jennifer Lopez Netflix documentary Halftime. Uh, and there are a couple of other movies here that myself, Dan Baer, are going to be catching, hopefully, uh, such as the B.J. Novak film Vengeance, which is a uh, screening here from Focus Features. There is a new film uh, from the director of The Killing of Two Lovers, starring Clayton Crawford again, called The Integrity of Joseph Chambers. And uh, a few other, you know, indie films, some which maybe applied for Sundance and didn't get in. I, you know, (laughs) 
that's usually kind of like my hidden conspiracy about Tribeca every year is like, oh, these are the Sundance rejects. <laughs> uh, but there are a lot of indie films that do show up there that are sometimes worth checking out, especially for Gotham or independent spirit play at the end of the year. Not to mention a load of good documentaries. So if you're in the New York area, there's definitely going to be something for everyone, I think, at this year's uh, festival. I know myself, I'm very much looking forward to um, the one with Brian Cranston and um, Annette Benning, Jerry and Marge Go Large. Mm, yeah. Yeah, so there's a few others that are also playing here. Uh, the Black Phone uh, from Scott Derrickson will also be screening there. So Tribeca Film Festival, uh, we'll definitely have some reviews, some coverage of that over the next couple of days. Uh, it's not necessarily my favorite film festival in the world, but it is still, you know, in my hometown. So I got to support it as much as I possibly can. And, you know, there's usually some breakouts here that I do think that people could do a better job of helping to promote. Uh, and there are some distributors here who do a really good job of getting their films out there. Like IFC Films usually does a great job. They have official competition playing here. Uh, and that's one in particular with Penelope Cruz and Antonio Banderas that I cannot wait to check out. So there will definitely be some good talking points from this year's festival for sure. All right. Well, that'll do it here for episode 297 of the Next Best Picture podcast. And Josh Parham, tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the Internet. You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. Tom O'Brien. And you can find me on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us, including the continuation of our 2012 retrospective, which is going on this month with two reviews for Django Unchained and for Les Miserables. So if you want to get the full reviews for those from 2012, head on over to our Patreon and subscribe. We'll also be doing more Next Best Theater and Next Best Series content for you as well. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.